All right. Hey, my friends, thanks so much for joining me for another episode of Real Live Talk. Welcome, everybody. Uh, thanks for checking out this episode. I hope that the conversation tonight uh, blesses you or adds some kind of value to your life. And uh, if it does, please consider supporting this podcast by subscribing or leaving a review on the Facebook page or whichever podcast platform you're listening from. Uh, my guest for this episode is Peter McGowan. Uh, Peter is president, co-founder, and chief storyteller at Storyland Studios. He's an immersive storyteller with over two decades of experience bringing iconic stories to life in physical, digital, and strategic spaces. As co-founder, president, and chief storyteller at Storyland Studios, he's worked with some of the most recognizable corporate and creative brands in the world, including the Walt Disney Company, Universal Studios, Lego, Mars Wrigley, M&Ms, Nissan, IBM, and many, many more. Uh, Peter is also especially passionate about partnering with nonprofit and cause-based organizations through Plain Joe, a Storyland studio to reflect their missions with excellence and heart. Uh, Peter, thanks so much for joining me, sir. Uh, just a pleasure to, first of all, meet, with, meet you and connect with you. And uh, just thanks for doing this. Oh, absolutely. So great to connect. Yeah, so I would love to hear a little bit of uh, background and stuff like that on how you kind of got into what you do. Uh, but even before we do that, like, what would you say? You know, I mentioned some of those, you know, brands and and uh, just major companies that you've uh, just had the, the the privilege of working with your team and and uh, partnering with on some creative projects and things like that. Uh, what would you say is just uh, you know kind of one of the more notable or interesting projects that you and your team have had a chance to work on? Oh man, it's hard because uh, we have we've had very small roles in a lot of very big things, but probably one of them that is most uh, we get a lot of notoriety for and or people know about, and I, I I'm really passionate about it too is uh, just uh -huh. uh, with Harry Potter world uh, and just the whole Harry Potter book series. I mean, it, it it really is the kind of the the thing that ignited a passion for reading within my kids. Uh, so I just appreciate that brand. But a few years ago, we uh, had the opportunity to actually build Hogwarts Express, the train that sits wow. in front of Universal uh, Orlando that everyone takes their picture in front of, the one that doesn't move. Um, yeah, but uh, and it was fun because it was the first time that was physically built before then it was all uh, done digitally. Um, like they had, a, they have a real steam train that was used for filming, but they just re recladded all digitally. So we had all these images and the team had to reverse engineer and build something physically. And then that became the template that they use to build all the other ones now that uh, take people back and forth and or like around the world and stuff like that. So, but, wow, that's so yeah, cool. That was fun. That's so cool. So you've done a bunch of stuff. You've done, well, you've done stuff with Disney. Have you, um, have you by any chance done anything with Marvel? I can't, I couldn't tell you. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, you know, we've done, <laughs> I can like, tell you, but then it honestly, to. like little small piddly things. Like uh, it, it's uh -huh. like, uh, but some of them are really cool. Some of them are really fun, but we've, we've done things that have kind of made like its way into different things that are a lot more recognizable, but probably one of the funnest things that we had literally was when uh, the original first Avengers was coming out, we got tapped to do the photography for the toys. <laughs> It's totally random. Really? And so then like used in social media, but we actually set up like back then it was like our own mini volume. Literally we set up a LED screen with screens to light the little Iron Man figure because we, we didn't have the budget and to get the reflectivity and to get everything in. Huh. And we literally just hung them in front of a monitor. We had like, uh, we had pulled from a construction site, different things to make it look like the battle of New York and, um, 
yeah, but yeah, it's a so very small part. Like if you, yeah, the the, the uh, Marvel toys that was a fun one, but but we've got to work on other little small things too. But it's um, uh, I mean, so many people contribute to that greater uh, story mm. universe, and uh, yeah. yeah, we're humbled and honored to even just have small parts and roles and things. So what you're saying is you basically created Iron Man, right? That's what I'm hearing you say. That's, really <laughs> that's what I'm going to tell everybody. That's how the pastor <laughs> stories always work. It's like I yeah. seriously, like I'll be walking down and then all of a sudden it's like, yeah. And, and Peter's brother, Mel, I, literally the guy started working at the Disneyland Hotel front desk and he worked his way up, right? And he did really good. But all of a sudden it's like he, he master planned design Disneyland. I'm thinking like the guy wasn't even alive. <laughs> It's like, mm. oh, they, like <laughs> pastors just have a way of giving us so much credit. And it's like, no, no, no. Um, yeah. but, uh, but we've had a lot of fun. We've, we've played in a lot of really cool sandboxes, but yeah. I, I cannot take credit for uh, yeah, a lot of this stuff. It's uh, yeah. Yeah, sure. Are you a, um, are you kind of, do you have like a childlike mentality when it comes to that stuff? Like, do you enjoy that? that stuff like when you get to work on something that's like disney or something that's kind of like kid related or something like that uh, is that something that kind of you got a passion uh, for it's torture man it's torture i'd rather really? sit at home and read an encyclopedia <laughs> than play with now it's, uh, that's no, no, in your no, wheelhouse yeah. yeah no i i totally you know i'm a totally i i'm like i i embody peter pan never grow up i i still wow. play with legos i yeah it's uh working on the lego roller coaster set with my 15 year old right now got my it's, uh, little infinity gauntlet right here that yeah I, the, I, I noticed that just sitting back there i i caught that yeah yeah i have here i should have come off but this is one of my newest little oh toys. no way see i knew it i knew there was an iron man connection man no way but it's yeah. this guy's fun but yeah i love this stuff have, have you ever done the thing like the like the iron man like water thing where you can like like fly have you ever done anything like that no 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 that, that does look interesting though but yeah one of the guys in our studio actually uh one of the longest he's been with us i think he's coming 20 years is um he's a stormtrooper he's in uh yeah he oh, actually yeah. made his whole costume and he, he was in the mandal uh the book of boba fett or mandalorian i forgot one of those episodes mm -hmm. but yeah we're all big kids though yeah, never yeah. that's so cool uh, so you and you work with like a ton of churches and nonprofits as well. I would imagine is that like is that like a flex for pastors? Do you find like do you find that people are like like oh yeah the guy did our the guy that did our branding is the same guy that did it for, <laughs> for yeah, Marvel? Uh, or for... I don't know. Yeah, a lot of I feel the like guys it would be in it. my statement of faith if it was me. Yeah, be like it just... you know what? I don't know. I think because we're kind of out of the box and and a lot of things mm -hmm. and a lot of the guys we work with are going to be friends. And so I don't think it's so much a flex of like, oh, the guy that did whatever, because we really haven't done. I, I, our team has been a part of just amazing things and the opening of theme parks and all these different types of stuff. But um, yeah, I don't know. Maybe some pastors care more about that, but you, we tend to gravitate towards pastors who are really concerned about their, their story and how sure. we can help them tell their story. Sure. Um, but we'll have fun though. I mean, we definitely, uh, a lot of guys, we have fun. We'll go to Disney together or universal and just have fun. Mm, that's awesome. Um, so just a little bit of uh background, if we could, like, um, where did you grow up and, uh, how did you meet Jesus? Oh, I don't man. know if those coincided or if yeah, they were no, yeah, yeah, part actually, or whatever, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. I can give you my whole testimony, man. Uh, no, it's, uh, you know, my dad was, uh, in the army. And we grew up as military brats. 
And so I spent the first decade of my life moving around uh, quite a bit, actually. That's a whole part of my testimony, actually, mm. that um, at a high level. Have you ever seen the movie Catch Me If You Can? Oh, yeah. Yeah. That totally could have been my dad. My dad was a professional con really? man. He, we grew up learning it was totally okay to lie, cheat, and steal. And if you get caught, just run away. And, uh, and which would mean we would end up moving every nine to 18 months. By the time I was 12, we had moved like over, over 18 times. Um, and we landed, uh, here in Corona, California in 1984. Mm. And, um, so, but in that first 10 years, nine of it, I spent mainly in Europe, a lot of time in Germany. Uh, and in that whole time, I had never met a born again, Christian. I'd never met anyone Mm. who would identify, uh, what we would call any sort of spirit led type thing, whatever. So definitely in a post-Christian culture. We landed here in 1984. My dad actually abandoned us, left us for good, and we were on welfare. And it was actually our back neighbors. They were the first Christians to ever reach out. And uh, and they were just really kind people. And my brother Mel would end up coming to know the Lord. And he actually led me to uh, a local church here, Crossroads Christian Church in Corona, California. Hmm. And that's where I met Jesus. And and really it was seeing my brother Mel uh, hit him go from this total, like, I mean, I idolized my big brother when we were growing up. I was like, oh, it's so cool. And when he became a teenager, he just became this big jerk. And he would like beat me up and stuff like that and humiliate me. Like one time I had the story about walking home from school and he drove by and I, I was like, hey, give me a ride. And he just was too cool and he drove by. Yeah. So I, I, I gave him the bird. You know, I was like, you know, <laughs> I was like, dude. And uh, he slams on the brakes, jumps out, chases me down in front of my friends, throws me on the ground and tend, you know, proceeds to beat me up and humiliate to humiliate me in front of everybody. Mm. And it was just like, he was just a jerk. And then when he became a Christian, it just, this switch flipped. And all of a sudden he he like cared about me and he was like concerned and pouring into me. And like, what the heck? And literally I saw this guy that was just this mean monster guy become like my hero and I wanted to be like him. And, uh, and, uh, and that was one part of my journey to faith. And then, uh, but yeah, during those times though, it was, uh, we were on welfare and my mom would come home. I mean, when she left, my mom's Vietnamese, she didn't even have a high school diploma. And so she's going out picking lemons, the lemon groves, uh, we'd come home with her hands bleeding and would just be like, we can just keep the house. We'll be okay. And, um, it was the local church that kind of took us in and, uh, wow. families in that local church, like I uh, kind of adopted me and, and, you know, they're the ones who kind of would feed me and w- would take me in. And uh, and kind of all these years later, I would end up like graduating from high school, graduating college, and I bought my mom's house. And I live in that house now. So I've been basically in the same house since 1984. Wow. Complete wow. opposite direction of my dad. Uh, yeah, literally, I, I, yeah, my wife, yeah, that's a whole separate story. My wife is <laughs> for first marrying me, but then also this house when we moved into it, it was so trashed. And, uh, and yeah, that's a whole other story, but. But yeah, but I, I came to know Jesus uh, at a pretty young age and when I was uh, I was in junior high school, 86. July 1st, 1986, I uh, gave my life to the Lord and got baptized. And yeah, wow. never really lived back since. So cool. So how did you start to kind of recognize this thing, this desire, this passion inside of you just for, I don't know, maybe, you know, this kind of creativity or Mm -hmm. this thing inside of you about, you know, your, one of your, your titles is chief storyteller, which is so cool. That's such a cool thing. And so like storytelling on such an epic level and helping others, you know, really learn how to tell their story in a more, in a, in a more maybe, uh, you know, concise way or in a more creative way or in a way that connects more with people and stuff like that. Where did that come from? How did that kind of start to get developed and how did you kind of get into doing what you're doing now? 
You know, I would say at a very early age, I was always fascinated by story. I would hear my dad tell stories all the time. <laughs> I'm like, uh, and, and they were usually, uh, yeah, for his own personal Colorful, game. colorful yeah, stories. Yeah, yeah, totally, yeah. totally. And it was like, um, but really when it came down to it, especially once I became a Christian and stuff like that, uh, you know, story is not some marketing buzzword. It's not a niche like, oh yeah, hey, this is the uh, cool hip thing, whatever. Um, I honestly believe story is core to how God has created us. Um, like literally, uh, we connect uh, with our family, with our friends. Uh, culture is led by the storytellers. Uh, you know what leads culture? People say it's politics, art, science, sports, whatever. The reality, it's the stories that come out of there that really kind of compel things. And and when you look at Jesus, you know, the the, the creator of the universe, you know, when he actually sent his only son to, to come and save us. You know, Jesus didn't come just as a teacher. He didn't come just as a healer. Uh, you know, uh, he actually came as a storyteller. And and story is how he actually honed in on things. And and we have some pretty, I don't know, I, I probably get a little sacrilegious on, on some of our, uh, my theology uh, on things. But I, I don't think it's an accident that um, when it comes to talking about story and the importance of it, and when he would heal somebody, it was like, now go share your story or better go show your story. Um, you know, yeah. we joke around, like, we say, who's the greatest teacher of all time? You know, Jesus, right? And it's like, did Jesus have it wrong though? Should he have put the 12 disciples into a classroom for three years and gave them a certificate right. at the end? Right. Maybe Judas wouldn't have betrayed them, right? And uh, <laughs> and it's like, it's like, no, no, no. He actually very intentionally, if you look at Matthew, when Matthew wrote the book of Matthew, it was like, okay, yeah, at the end of his life, he's realizing somebody has to write this down because it's very ingrained in them that the stories were, were an oral tradition. And I think the technology can get in the way a lot of times uh, and get in the way of the story. Um, I don't think it's an accident. This is where I probably am sacrilegious. I don't think it's an accident that Jesus, who was an educated man who knew how to read and write, the only time he ever wrote anything down that we know of in scripture is when he wrote something temporarily in sand. In the sand, and, yeah. um, and I think that was intentional. He could have carved the Ten Commandments. He could have carved the stones. He could have carved the next 20 commandments. He could have done whatever. And but he didn't. And I, I think he very intentionally focused on the story. And it was about the story. And when you look at one of the greatest uh, uh, you know, callings that we have to bear one another's burdens, and the original Greek to that is that to empathize to, with people. And like, how do you do that? You do that by sitting down with people and 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 hearing their story and and telling mm -hmm. their story and connecting with them. So I think you know, the church early on and even before the church, just like around, you know, cavemen around the campfires. <laughs> it's like the lead storytellers were always the ones who led culture. And the church for 2000 years led culture through story. And I think the church forgot how to tell its story. Um, and yeah, and mm -hmm. I can get into that later. But I, wow. I think for, for, for us, it's just, I believe every person is creative. Um, but, you know, but like every little kid is coloring on the walls. <laughs> you know? And it, right. it is, uh, there, yeah, Sir Ken Robinson, uh, ha have you heard his, uh, his talks on paradigms in education or anything like that? Or I have not. He talks about this longitudinal study where they take these five-year-olds and they do this survey to figure out like how smart they are, see if they're genius level thinkers. And it's like, uh, for example, a question would be, how many uses are there of a paperclip, right? And they did that at five years old. Then they come back five years later at 10 years old, do the same questions. And they come back later five years okay. at 15 and do the same mm -hmm. questions. And you'd expect as these kids get educated, their genius level would just rise, right? 
what they found was the complete opposite. Opposite. It, it, wow. at, at five years right. old, there's like 200 uses of a paperclip. You can use a paperclip to bind paper. You can oh, use it to button a shirt. But what if the paperclip was 200 feet tall? It could be a bridge or it could be a skyscraper. Or if it's made out of co cork, it could be a boat, right? And by yeah. the time they're 10, it's like cut in half. And by the time they're 15, it's like there's three uses of a paperclip. This is it. <laughs> there's one answer. It's in the back of the book. And creativity is actually beaten mm -hmm. out of you. And it's like the idea of being creative, the idea of being a storyteller, the idea of being an artist, I think it's, it's yeah, our God is the God of creativity. And uh, now Absolutely. I think just some people haven't had the chance to flex that muscle. I, one of my favorite stories is uh, President George Bush, whatever. He's like this awesome painter now. It's like, I mean, really good. Really? He never painted yeah. his whole life. He did it as a part of therapy and just had this outlet and his paintings are actually yeah you should look up george bush portraits and he does all these okay things. Yeah, really <laughs> that's good. awesome yeah while you're yeah, in Houston, so, you look up. yeah absolutely uh it, it's so it's so interesting i love everything that you're saying and it's uh yeah i mean when like something that was so engraved into the culture of god's people the children of israel something that was so engraved into them was this art of storytelling and that's mm -hmm. how they passed everything down throughout the years throughout the generations it was retelling the story and mm -hmm. we even find in scripture where they got into trouble they got into problems with other nations and stuff like that when they failed to remember the testimony you know and yep. one of the most powerful things that we have right is our testimony that's your story it's your ability to tell your story your god experience mm -hmm. and it's something that uh, you know, people, other people can relate to other people can find themselves in. And so I think that that's so interesting. You said something there at the end about how uh, you feel like in, you know, in, in some ways, I don't remember exactly how you said it, but how the, the church has kind of lost that, that sort of uh, art of storytelling and stuff like that. Um, you know, but one of the things is uh, the other thing that you mentioned at the end there was about how, you know, God just in general is so creative. So what do you think in general about, creativity because i feel like a lot of people and this is something that i used to do and i don't do it anymore um but something that i used to do was i would kind of relegate creativity to the people who are like you know working in the arts or who yeah. do what you do or something like that and mm -hmm. so i would kind of you know put it in that that box like oh these are creative people Mm -hmm. And I do think there are people who maybe they have a different kind of flow. Their brain functions in a more creative way in, in, as opposed to a more logical way or whatever. But I really, really believe with all my heart now that no matter what you do in life, no matter the things that you're interested in, the things that God has called you to, the career path you take, whatever, that there is uh, creativity from God that he's that he has for you. And it's finding that creative expression that God has for you, for your life, for your family, for your relationships, for again, for your business, your career, for whatever it is. You're going to be a lawyer, a teacher, and God has all these creative ideas for us that I just feel like so often we just we fail to tap into because we don't think on that level. Does that make sense? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yep. You're, you're totally right. If you were to rewind the clock back 100, 150, 200 years uh, before the Industrial Revolution, uh, everybody had to understand a basic kind of ecosystem, how it all worked. Um, even if you just take something as basic as handwriting, um, anyone that was successful mm. in life had to be able to handwrite. Even if you were a farmer, to be able to keep track mm. of your inventory of the crops and all those things, 
you would learn penmanship and you'd have that discipline and you'd write things out. It wasn't just for the writers to do whatever. Um, but even as we look at from one generation to the next, uh, those farmers would have their kids working alongside them and they would learn how to tend to the fields. But then they would also learn how to tend to their clothes and tend to the tools and how do we keep up the house and do all these things. And it really was the advent of the industrial revolution, the idea of this assembly line approach and the siloing and the departmentalization. That's what started to break down this interconnectivity of things and where we, and the whole spiritual formation system that we have right now, is only like 150 years old with like a senior pastor with a church that meets one day a week uh, that, you know, yeah. it, it, it's just like, it's an assembly line system, batch kids by age group, put them through Sunday school classes into junior high groups, high school groups, into college groups. It's totally unnatural. I mean, you, do you go anywhere else like where they say, okay, everyone break up by age group other than within school? Wow. It, it's like yeah. the only reason they do it is because it's this assembly line for learning that even now is totally falling apart and breaking down. Um, but you, you know, imagine going to the movies or going to Disneyland and say, okay, everyone separate by age group and now go parents go over here. And yeah, it's like, <laughs> it's, it's like, adult like swim. Yeah. yeah, no, no, totally. It's, it, it is, uh, you know, and that's what Walt Disney understood. Walt Disney, when he created Disneyland, he was like, yeah, I want a place where kids can come. His kids were fine going to Griffith Park, which I don't know if you've ever been to Griffith Park, man. It was designed by the Army Corps of Engineers, very functional. Yeah, CMU concrete bathrooms, like very uninspiring. Mm -hmm. But Walt would yeah. sit there, they had one merry-go-round, and he would sit there for hours watching his girls go around. Wait, merry-go-round goes backwards. Anyways, but it's just like, um, it, yeah, it, it's just funny. It, it, but he built Disneyland for adults so that adults could be inspired while their kids were also being inspired huh. and to engage and make memories together. But I think one of the fundamental issues is that we put things into these boxes. Oh, you're creative. Okay, you're a pastor. And the most efficient way is mm -hmm. to do this. And the sad thing is that's not the way the church started. I mean, the early church, church, the church was the people, right? It was, it was the book of Acts. It was the people getting together. Mm -hmm. The church buildings were not designed for people to come to gather on Sundays. Early monasteries, early abbeys, early cathedrals, they were, they were uh, embassies for the new city of Jerusalem for pilgrims who were making their journey back to the Church of the Holy Sepulchre for a pilgrimage. Mm. And they were experiences. When you would go into these towns, you would actually go through them and how they were laid out architecturally from everything from the alignment to uh, the north side, the darker side, that's the stories of the fall of man, to going around the the uh, altar and the cross and hearing about the passion and you know mm. the resurrection yeah. and all the life stories came on the south side where light would flood through. But going to church was an experience. And that's what drew community. That's why the communities built themselves around them. That's why uh, market gathered around them. But they were a part of everyday life. And they, and they were the hubs of not just people coming to experience God. They were actually there to have community, the marketplace. It's where the you know, first school started, where the hospital started, the orphanages started. They all started because they were doing the work of the church. And wow. you know, the biggest downside is right now is I think after the Industrial Revolution, we have this mentality. And really, honestly, I think COVID was great for a lot of churches because it woke them up and realizing for it's sure. not about the building on a Sunday morning. What are we doing outside the building? What are we doing? In all? And it's for really sure. sad all the communities that were like, yeah, we didn't notice the church not meeting that <laughs> and all these people are struggling now going like oh we just wanted the way it, way it was and it's like man pandora's box has been opened and right people are looking for spirituality more than ever before and google knows this <laughs> and the problem is google and facebook and uh tiktok and all the, and youtube they're filling people with rather than spiritual things they're 
filling them with like consumerism and saying, hey, this is what will make you happy. But, uh, you know, they're not on this assembly line approach of like, hey, people only need spirituality on a Sunday. Um, so anyways, I don't know if that makes sense. Well, but. man, no, that's that's unreal. Um, that's uh, so where do you kind of see? I mean, you, you so you mentioned the, the pandemic and the changes that took place. And that was for sure something that that happened with us in our in our church setting, uh, because what it did was it forced us into a corner like it did for so many where we had like a week to get some new stuff off the ground that was going to help us to continue to reach and impact people. And, uh, you know, it was stuff that we had in our minds that we were thinking about, but we kept kind of putting off or like we kept saying, mm -hmm. well, when we, you know, when we have the equipment for this, when we have this, when we have this in our budget and we do that. And then it's like, you know, kind of being in that place where you're, you are painted into a corner and now it's like, well, I don't have a choice now. It's interesting. The creative juices that start flowing when mm -hmm. you realize you don't have any other option. Oh, and yeah. you realize, you know what, you find out what's in you and you find yeah. out what you're capable of. And I do think that so often we live under these limitations, these kind of mm -hmm. self-imposed restrictions that we that we put on ourselves, um, whether, you know, we're talking about individual lives, churches, businesses, whatever. But I, I think that we so often we live under these self-imposed restrictions and we just say, well, one day or maybe when I get help or maybe I'll do this or whatever. And we don't realize like there's something inside of you all along that if you just knew how to kind of tap into it or if you just knew that it was there, that you could actually, you know, break out and do something pretty special. So that was something that I know a lot of churches saw. Uh, we for sure were, you know, just had to figure stuff out in a very short period of time. And uh, but I mean, we got it going. It wasn't super like polished and pretty at first, but we we learned, you know, mm -hmm. and I think that that's that's the that's the key is kind of like staying on staying on top of stuff like we could have been ahead of that. <laughs> you know what I mean? We could have been ahead of that wave because we did it then we could have done it two years earlier. But for whatever reason, you know, so, yeah, just uh, recognizing that that creative path of God is there for you and it's always there and you don't I don't you know. I think God uses all kinds of stuff to bring stuff out of us. But I also think that we probably don't have to, you know, wait until we're in that corner to start, you know, pushing forward to some of these things. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think the the idea that that's the assembly line approach. There's one answer. It's in the back of the book. The idea of mm -hmm. stewardship was really honed in after the Industrial Revolution. That means efficiency, not wasting money and all this stuff, whatever. Mm -hmm. The reality is when you read the parable of the talents, the guy that was conservative and saved all his money, it was better that he had never been born. It was the ones that took the risk and had the high return on investment were the ones that were re rewarded. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, when we talk about creativity, it's not like, hey, just throw everything out, throw the baby out with the bathwater, start from scratch. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I think when we look at God, the God of creativity, um, you know, I look at how he made us and um, it, it's it, he loves system. He loves logic. He loves order. Like I think of it like Lego. It's like the Lego system. You play mm. within the system. You have all this freedom. Uh, what is it? You and I share, was it 98% of our DNA is identical. It just takes us 2% to be, to be unique and different. And that's wow. the thing is like, when we talk about being creative, it's not like some like, forget all structure, forget all process, forget like hmm. scope, schedule, budget. We just say, hey, let's take a little bit of time here. Uh, and just figure out what's that 2% that makes you unique and different. 
and how do you make sure it it, it, it responds well? And uh, you know, I'll just poke a, a fun story. Two two stories. One is uh, it's an old adage about a young uh, young woman getting married, and she's making her first Thanksgiving dinner. And uh, I, I've heard this before. It's like a pastor story. I I, I heard it at church once, and and basically she's getting the turkey ready. The size of the yeah. Yeah, yeah. She gets the it's church good out, one, and she starts cutting it in half. And her husband's like, "What are you? What are you doing?" It's like she's like, "I'm getting ready to stuff the turkey." He's all, "Yeah, you just you don't have to cut it in half." And she's like, "I don't know. This is the way my mom taught me." And her mom comes over later that day, and and her mom goes like, "Yeah, well, why do we cut it in half?" And her son, her mom's like, "I don't know. That's the way grandma taught me." Grandma comes over, and she's like, "Why do we cut it in half?" And she's like, "I don't know." And she's like, "Oh, now grandma goes, oh, in 1935, our oven wasn't big enough." Mm-hmm. And it's like, here they are cutting in half all these years because that was the tradition. That was the ritual. And that was the mm-hmm. thing that they passed on, not why. Uh, and we always tell, you got to think of your why. Why are you doing it? And share those stories so we learn from those things. Um, the, the second story is I was, I, was, I was with a church. I won't mention that. I'll try to keep innocent. Uh, the name's innocent here. But large church that a lot of people look to. And I'm sat, sitting there at a conference talking with one of the founding uh, children's pastor and it was like someone comes up and goes, oh, we love all your stuff. We copy everything you do. We got rid of all of our tables and chairs for our kids' ministry and put everyone wow. on carpet rounds because, yeah, and it's so great. They're just rolling on the ground. They love it and everything. And the person walks away, and my friend looks at me, and she goes, oh, my gosh. I can't tell you how many times people tell us that. And it's like mm. I, I don't have hard to tell them. The reason why we did that is because we couldn't afford tables and chairs in the beginning. Now we have tables and chairs. It's like, you know, you wow. know how hard it is to keep a three-year-old from rolling on the ground when you're just sitting there. Yeah. It's just like, you know, we just have to tell these stories. And rather than just copying things, oh, this guy's doing this. This guy's doing this. Let's just copy it. it it's okay yeah. to copy something, but uh, just take a minute and figure out, like, what is it that you can make it that applies to your story and how you're working? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, there's something that I see in the church world a lot is that and 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 then forgetting about the fact uh, even even in terms of on a more maybe foundational level like does that really ultimately match up with your vision you know like what what kind of chairs and tables to use that might not that that might not be the thing but you know sometimes we can go to a church conference or something and it's all this stuff's happening and we see things and we get inspired and we want to take the heart of that we want to take the spirit of that back home and i think it's good and it's healthy to ask those questions like like oh that resonated with me how can we, you know, apply the principles of this or how can we apply, you know, it seems like these people are really encountering God in a, in a tremendous way. I want to get into that. Like, I want that to rub off on me and I want to be able to impart that to at home, you know, in, in, in what I do. But I, you know, I think that we can go too far and just try to take somebody else's vision, copy somebody else's vision and complete way of doing things. And, uh, and it might be at the end of the day, it's like, well, hold on. Is that ultimately what God has called you to do or not? Yeah, yeah. And that really is our calling. We try and come alongside nonprofits and churches um, mm-hmm. with the idea of trying to help them tell their story better. And it really is not about hiring us to do work. It's like we need more. I don't know. I'm like, we really don't need a lot. I mean, church work, like, like one church project or one secular project is equal to 50 church projects as far as profitability. I mean, it's like, it's not even close. It's not even close because for Disney to put $2,000 a square foot or $2,100 a square foot into something, it's not like 
unreasonable because they use that square foot seven days a week. So that's equivalent to $300 a square foot seven days a week. When a church, they're like struggling to put, you know, $400, $500 into something a square foot, which is really high. Uh, you, uh, typical pre-COVID construction prices were like 150 to 250 And mm. even now, though, they, they look at that. But the problem is when you say you put something like $300 a square foot and only use it one day a week, you know, that, that's so inefficient. And uh, the idea of, of how do you tell your story better? How do you make it uniquely yours? How do you be steward your things well? And a lot of times what we do is we just try to come alongside, help them tell their story better. And the fun thing about it is that story, usually when you start pulling the elements together, it looks really good and it doesn't always cost a ton of money. Uh, probably the biggest compliment that we get that's also the biggest criticism is you guys design great stuff, but it's just so expensive. It's just, oh my gosh. It's like, and it's funny because literally we've gotten awards before and we actually had a, uh, uh, an architect telling us one time, he's like, oh yeah, well, you know, you guys beat that church down the street, but they had like half your budget and all this stuff. And I'm just smirking. And I'm like, how much, how much do you think we had? And they're like, well, I don't know. You guys had at least a million dollars. And I'm like, actually we had 800,000. And, and do you know how much the church down the street had? And they're like, well, half of what you guys had. I'm like, yeah, they had almost 2 million, 1.8 million, <laughs> mm. <laughs> but wow. how they used it. I mean, they did it. And that's the thing is you can kind of, I don't want to knock like uh, other like ways people do things, but you actually mentioned something earlier, which was, it, it has to do with the pressure cooker of constraints, whether it's time or resources that forces creativity. Mm. And we actually have ways of kind of spurring that on. But I totally believe that that pressure is what sparks innovation and innovation happens. Yeah. And then you're able to iterate and kind of keep moving forward. I can actually be really, it's, it's lazy of me to, for someone to say, Hey, we have a hundred thousand dollars to spend. Can you make it look good? I mean, I'd be phoning it in if I just said, yep, use this paint, use this. You need paint anyways. You need carpet anyways. And if I got them all the prices that would fit with a hundred thousand dollars, that's easy. That literally is easy. Mm. The trick is how can I get a, a, a deck of things that looks like you spent 200,000, but really only spent a hundred thousand. And, yeah. um, a, a, a side story is like my mother-in-law, um, went, uh, before she actually just passed away this last year, uh, but it, it, she's an amazing woman. She just like took me in, uh, as her, as one of her, as her only, like, I just, anyways, I, amazing woman took me in as her son and I just, you know, loved her. Right. And I actually lost my father-in-law, um, mm. about 20 years ago. So she actually lived quite a, a ways mm. without it. When she retired. Uh, she had a little bit of a nest egg and she wanted to buy a car and, uh, and she's like, okay, Pete, tell me buy a car. And I, I want to say, I'm going to, I'm going to butcher these numbers, but I want to say she had like $30,000 or $35,000. And, um, and she goes, yeah, like help me buy a car. I could have just sat there and said, okay, 35,000. And, and she wanted a new car too, right? So I'm like, okay, new cars, 35,000. These are all the list prices. I can do some haggling. This is what you can get, right? But yeah, being the good son-in-law or maybe the not good mm -hmm. son-in-law. Instead, I said, so what do you want? Like, what are you interested in? And she's like, well, I, the, the, one of those plug-in hybrids would be nice. It'd be nice if it had a hatchback. It was like a minivan or she starts describing what she wants. And basically I realized the car she wants is like this Ford C-Max, which I wouldn't pick, but she liked it. And yeah. it costs like $42,000 or $46,000 or something that she wanted. And, you know, should I just have been like, well, the car you want is 46,000. You need to spend the 46,000, but you only have 35. Like what should I do? Mm -hmm. But actually what I did was 
I just started calling around. I started checking, checking ads. And what I did was I found that exact Ford C-Max that she wanted. That was $46,000. I found it with 2000 miles on it, basically mm. new for $35,000. Mm. And it's like, but it yeah. took, it was a lot, it was a bit more work, but I was able to do that. And, and that's the thing is you're able to do things when you take a little bit of time and just don't settle for what that generic thing is. But we get criticized all the time. Uh, and that's what's like in the church world. In the secular world, they kind of know the game. Uh, you know, we, we talk about, um, we, we use the analogy of eating a lot. The church world, mm. we're basically used to eating fast food. Or at, at best, we go to restaurants where they give you a menu and you can pick what you want. Wow. And people will say like, oh, yeah, the, those Plain Joe guys are story. Yeah, that, that, they're Ruth's Chris. They're totally whatever, expensive. <laughs> the reality is, man, uh, we're, we're, we're guys who know how to cook. And we'll probably start by coming over to your house, looking in your fridge, looking in your pantry, make a grocery list and go grocery shopping. And I bet you wow. for the same money, we can go and have a backyard barbecue and have a way better experience than we would by going uh, you know, through a drive-through. And when we're looking at creating unique stories, unique things like creating Hogwarts Express, it's not like you can go to Home Depot and said, okay, get me the parts from you know, a Hogwarts Express. Mm -hmm. and, and that's yeah. the world we're in and they understand it's all custom made. And working with the church is difficult because they're so used to that menu approach. They go, it's like, hey, how much is a cookie? And it's like, okay, well, you can get a cookie for three, four, five bucks. But if you tell me how many you need, we might be able just to buy the wheat and the flour and the dough and get you a dozen right. for the same five bucks. It's like, right. you know, it just right. depends on what you need. But custom making, the, the custom business is, is totally, totally different um, than what most church people are used to. How big is your team? Because it... we have about, uh, yeah, no, we have about, we have a great team. You know what? I, I don't even know, man. About 150. <laughs> I think we have about 150 people, wow. I think. Yeah, wow, that's you know, it's hard though because we have uh, a lot of full-time employees and we have a lot of contractors mm -hmm. that are full-time. Um, we have a lot of people out of state, out of the country. We have, uh, yeah, we do work mm -hmm. all over the world. Um, we have like half a dozen theme parks going internationally right now, and uh, God's just really blessing us and opening up doors, and it's just kind of crazy. That's yeah. really cool, man. Uh, it's very, very cool. It's fascinating what you do. Uh, real quick, do you, do you, I know we're, we're kind of, we're getting close to our cutoff time. Do you have time for one more question or should we go ahead and wrap it up? Uh, I'll do one more. Sure. <laughs> well, I'm just curious answer, about, right? yeah, yeah. I mean, just curious about kind of like what you see in terms of, um, the trends. I mean, the, the evolution of technology and the, the way that it's, it, it obviously it's normal for the church to kind of, uh, adapt and gravitate toward, you know, things that are going on. We see things springing up now, like meta church, uh, meta, uh, meta church. Yeah. Well, meta church is like a, a specific one, but like, you know, metaverse churches and kind of getting into that whole thing. And just curious, like, you know, you alluded to the different, some things about technology and stuff like that, about how, I mean, it, it just seems like it's like, we're more connected than ever. Um, but at the same time, we also are able to disconnect probably more than ever before, because we're able to if we're doing things through technology and stuff like that, I feel like uh, we kind of have the opportunity a little bit more to not necessarily share the real us or to show the real us or put the real us out there. Mm -hmm. um, and so, uh, you know, just curious about just kind of what you think, what you see. I mean, uh, ultimately, I don't think that, um, you know, we can kind of take a negative approach to 
technology and be like, oh, it's like ruining connection and relationship. At the same time, I think that there's many, many ways where it's enhancing relationship and it's enhancing connection. It's allowing this connection that we're having right now to take place where otherwise this wouldn't be possible. And so different things like that. But uh, I'm sorry, because I, I know I probably sh shouldn't have done this because it's like a loaded question, but just kind of um, like what okay. you kind of see over maybe the next decade or so kind of transpiring in the church and to what level, to what extent uh, we need to be kind of embracing, um, you know, the technological sort of revolution that we're experiencing right now and how these things can actually help us to build connection rather than, you know, become something that's that causes us to disconnect. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, yeah. So I think historically the church embraced technology, everything from the Roman roads to get the gospel out. To oh, the yeah. Good, press, good the call. Yeah. Press. I mean, you look at like, uh, I mean, it was it uh, the, the father of modern genetics. You know, he was an Augustan monk. It's like, uh, you know, Charles Darwin. It's, uh, you know, he's buried at Westminster Abbey. He was considered a hero of the church. The church embraced technology, embrace innovation. Uh, the church, I was kind of, it was like one of the original multinational corporations on like multiple continents. Mm. You look at the Catholic church and still today it's the largest landholder in the world. Uh, when you look at radio, when radio first came out, like the early content providers were the radio evangelists. That's how Amy, Amy Simple McPherson built the force. Yes. Yeah. And even today, the wow. uh, my understanding, the largest privately owned television network, uh, satellite network is it's TVN. <laughs> it's, it's like, you know, and it, it, the church historically, has not been shy of using technology. Again, going back to Jesus, it was all about the story. The technology was fluid, whatever to get the gospel out, right? Um, and right now, I think the churches, uh, you know, I, when Twitter came out, I don't know if you're, I, re I remember when we got our studio, we were, when we were starting it, uh, one day I get a call from uh, someone, a receptionist at our church, and some guys from Facebook are there. And they were guys with Facebook and Facebook was just starting back then. And they were interested because they saw these churches using it. And they were curious what the application was inside the church, outside the, the college uh, system. And we had been at like an early adopter on, on, on Facebook. And, um, but man, when Twitter originally came out, the, a lot of the uh, kind of influencers originally, they were mm. pastors who were great at tweeting and they're really good. And it's funny because then the process got in and communications directors reeled them in and pulled them back. And it's just like, you know, and luckily you have guys like Elon Musk that don't listen to his, you know, comms teams and they just go out and they really, you know, are able to share things. But yeah. historically the church has embraced technology. And I think the biggest issue right now, and we look at the way stories are told, and this is how we built our business is, is that Walt Disney understood that story is not just an oral or written tradition. Uh, you know, and that's our studio. We help people tell their story. And we say a story that walks away with people. That's really what strategic branding is. And wow. for us, a strategy is not so much about a plan as it is a theory on how things should unfold. And the trick with theories is you have to prove them out. And if they're not true, you have to correct it. You have to kind of reiterate it. The second area is story that doesn't walk away with people. We call it spatial storytelling. And that creates immersive experiences. And that really back, back to uh, it right into the third area where we say is interactive storytelling. And that really is mm. the culmination of what we call this user experience or that narrative. Um, I, I, my brother has this thing where we say, um, you know, the saying is form follows function. Like you have a function and then the form that will take that. But uh, my brother Mel taught me form follows fiction. And the idea is you actually have to write the narrative. You write the story that you want it to be. And then wow. that dictates how that out outcome will behave. And wow. that's exactly what the parables were. Jesus told a fictional story to help people understand the truths of the scripture and how they would manifest and apply themselves. 
Um, but you know, when we look at the church right now, the greatest mediums for telling story, people are missing the boat. I mean, like it, hmm. it is when we look at, when we think of Hollywood, we think of film, we think of entertainment and television. We're thinking like, oh yeah, we gotta, we gotta do all this stuff. Film is dwarfed by the video game industry. The video game industry is quadruple yes. to 10 times the size. Absolutely. And when you look at the metaverse, metaverse is basically an extension of a giant multiplayer university video game. They're leading the and, charge, man. Yeah, the they game really engines, are. Yeah. And, mm -hmm. yeah. And, and the reality is, and that's some of the fun stuff we're working on now. We're doing things with Epic and uh, you know, cool. Unreal Engine and yeah. with, uh, AMD and working on things to help tell compelling stories. And really, um, yeah, the church has the greatest story of all time. And we have the Absolutely. greatest stories of people's lives. And if we can just kind of get out of our way and off this assembly line, hey, the best storyteller, and given the best storyteller is the preacher, and he's on the Sunday morning, give him that spot. But there's seven days a week, and and the only mm. preacher can only bear so much. And right, how we right, right, right. sell them with all these responsibilities of being a vision caster, mm. a leader, a manager, and and a teacher, and all these things. It, I don't see how some uh, all my pastor friends. I feel for them. I really do. Mm. Um, being creative in the church world is so hard. I mean, I don't know of any other organization that reinvents the wheel every week, like literally recreate right. a new creative program every week. I mean, any other industry, television, Broadway, they go on these things called breaks or sabbaticals. They have seasons. They have different teams. They rotate people off. <laughs> but it's like <laughs> the church is every week. They're on this hamster wheel trying to engage. And wow. it's like, man. Uh, wow. And when you look at engagement, for a couple hours a week and you look at hollywood trying to they're they're pining at people to get two three four five six ten hours of people's time man video games they're flaunting hundreds to thousands of hours of people's times it's like yeah, it, yeah. so it, it is a foregone yeah. conclusion that people are going down this path the roman roads have opened people can transfer they are happening there the yeah. question is are we bringing hope there are we bringing the gospel wow. there? so yeah, so what I'm hearing you say is that because we've got the greatest story to tell out of anybody, we should be leveraging these, you know, platforms and the different technological structures as much as possible in a in a in creative ways to get that story out there in front mm -hmm. of as many people as possible. Is that basically yep. decent decent yeah. assessment? I mean, you said a lot more than that, but <laughs> yeah, yeah. but uh yeah, that's very cool. Well, I know we're up against the clock, man. I really appreciate your perspective there. So cool. Uh, but thank you so much for joining us. Uh, just before we end, I mean, is, is there anywhere, I meant to ask you this before we started, but a, a website or something where um, just, you know, maybe point people to if they're interested in finding out a little bit more about what, what you do? Yeah, go to plainjoestudios.com and uh, there's a, a con connect with us form if you want to have a further conversation with me or someone on our team. We'd love to chat with you if, if what we sound like, you know, isn't sacrilegious to you. I know it's sacrilegious to a lot of other people. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And you got to check out the fun stuff we do. I love it, man. Yeah. yeah, yeah that's uh, we'll, we'll direct you there too. But. I love it, man. Well, thanks everybody for checking out this episode. Appreciate you guys so much. Have an awesome rest of your evening, day, whenever you're checking out this podcast. And uh, Peter, thanks again, sir. Oh, totally. Bless totally. you.